0: The days of the general contractor's superintendent sitting in his office trailer and staring at his schedule and keeping it to himself and going out there and telling the electrician, hey, you're behind And, and screaming at him, you know, is, hey, you guys come in, we're gonna sit down and look at this schedule together and we're gonna figure out how in the heck are we gonna get there together?
1: Everybody to a quality podcast season two. We are pleased to have with us today Andrew McLaughlin. Andrew is a lean manager at a large general contracting firm and is here to talk to us about something a little different, which is lean in construction. So we're really excited to branch out into this slightly different area of lean. Andrew, how are you today? Oh man, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, good. So thank you so much for having
0: me, by the way. I appreciate
1: the invitation. Yeah, our pleasure. We're um, excited about, you know, how does lean apply in different industries? Now, my exposure to construction, I set concrete forms back when I was you know young and strong um, and got paid cash under the table, do not tell the IRS. That's about it. So, I'm really interested to learn about the application of lean concepts to uh, construction. Why don't you start out, Andrew, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days.
0: Sure. Uh, So I started out working out in the field in horizontal construction with a a civil contractor, you know, back when I was in high school and college, just, uh, you know, with an alternate plan like everybody else. I was going to go to college for business and go live and work in France and, so, I wasn't really out there taking it too seriously, trying to learn how to uh, put dirt to grade within a tenth of a foot with a dozer, things like that. You know, I was helping out, but I was essentially a laborer. But it did teach me uh, a lot about what our tradespeople go through in construction, right? It's hard work, it's long days. Um, a lot of times, not much reward either. Uh, you show up, you clock in, you clock out in civil construction, you're out in the elements. Um, so you're, you're exposed to the weather and, uh, it taught me the value of, of hard work. Right. And then, um, when I got out of college with an MBA, uh, my plans to go (laughs) live and work in France pretty much got shot down by a little thing called, uh, the great recession. I graduated in 2009 and, um, it was a 2 year program for for the MBA in international business at a uh, university of south carolina and i started in july of 2007 and guess when they announced the recession in the united states december of 2007 <laughs> so uh, we were all kicking ourselves a little bit and wondering okay you know what the heck is a great recession first of all i knew about what recessions were and i knew what the great depression was but tremendous amount of uncertainty during that time, and needless to say, when I got done in 2009, I was not going to live and work in France, so I had to regroup, and that's when I, uh, I started looking at uh, alternate careers, uh, alternate um, business sectors to get involved with, and uh, and I did a, a little stint in manufacturing. I worked in a distribution center for three years, and that's when I first learned about lean and manufacturing. I did a green belt in Six Sigma. Um, I learned about process improvement. I learned about 5S, you know, a lot of the real basic uh, structures that you learn about when you start talking about lean in general. Um, but as you know, from your, from your background, right? Um, lean and manufacturing is a perfect world. You're basically inside of a laboratory environment, right? You're not exposed to the elements like you are in construction. Um, you're, You're dealing with an industry that's been talking about lean for 50, 60 plus years in some cases, right? And in construction, there are still people who are graduating with construction management degrees this year that have never heard of lean in construction. It's not taught. If it is taught, it's maybe taught just on the design side, and that's one little tiny piece, right? And I did not know that when I left manufacturing and went to work for a drywall contractor. So again, staying on the trade side of things in construction, um, that is when I discovered actually that there is a group called uh, LCI, the Lean Construction Institute, that studies and educates people on the application of lean specifically in the construction industry. And I, it was like a marrying of, of two worlds for me, right, because I grew up around uh, the trades and then I also knew about lean. And I said, man, this is just a, a huge can of worms. And, and um, my next step in my career took me to a, uh, a civil contractor that uh, was not um, interested in lean. And you know we can maybe talk about that a little bit later on, but um, the application of, of lean, either to a construction company or any company for that matter, um, it really needs to come from the top down, right? from from leadership because it's a cultural change in many instances and that company was was not interested i tried for three years um and i i really missed all the lean stuff you know i missed uh working with people that were uh in the mindset of continuous improvement that were not happy with the status quo that wanted to learn new things and experiment and and try to improve right and so that's when I went to the general contractor side of things, where I am now, to help them with the application of lean in their company, and uh, and so that's where I am now.
2: Can you give us a little bit about why you had your heart set on France? I'm really interested in that.
0: <laughs> uh, so one of my, um, I guess talents that I discovered when I was in school is that I'm good at foreign languages. Uh, At one point, I spoke four. I spoke German, French, Spanish, and English, uh, but I have not had the opportunity to maintain German, so really, it's just Spanish and French, and Spanish, thanks to the construction industry, has been pretty easy for me to maintain, Um, but French, I learned living overseas, and um, and I just enjoyed that language. I enjoyed living in France. And so I thought, all right, what this is gonna be my goal to work for a consumer products company. Uh, at the time I was, uh, I targeted Dannon. Um, that's who I did my internship with in, in, in MBA school. But again, the, the recession just put a big hold on that. And uh, as it turns out, at the end of my internship, uh, which was the end of 2008 they had already announced their recession officially in France and in Europe at that time and they said man we don't even know if we have a spot for the people who are currently on maternity leave when they come back it was it was a really um it's a really disruptive time uh
1: economically And (laughs) (laughs) and for those of you in youtube land that are wondering what a great recession is Great recession is what happens when Great Depression has already been taken. So interesting timing. And, you know, I found that for a lot of people, certainly in my own life, um, things that are outside of our control end up being fortuitous events. And we look back and think, you know, the choices that I might have made had I been able to make them. wouldn't have allowed me to experience some of the amazing things that i've been able to experience i don't know if it would be good or bad but i'm thankful for the path that i did get to take right so who knows you know you might be living under a bridge somewhere in france if uh things had gone according to plans (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: that's a great point you know who knows if uh if at some point in time somebody just said, we're not renewing your work visa, and after all that work, I'd still be back in the United
1: States just a couple of years later, you know, starting from scratch again. Good point. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Great Recession could have happened after you got there. I imagine that would have been worse, right? Um, so, awesome, interesting background. Um, you mentioned, you know, working in the trades. Uh, you mentioned specifically working for a company that had no interest in leave. So there's um, some commonality there between us because I've worked for a couple of companies and management was very strongly against lean and even continuous improvement. Obviously I moved on because I'm not married to lean, but I am married to continuous improvement. I can't stand not improving a business. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe why management had that approach, what their thoughts were?
0: I don't know if you've ever had the experience of living in waste. And when I say waste, I'm not talking about the sewer, the sewer type, right? I'm talking about the lean type, the eight wastes. And that was how I felt at that company. I was an estimator. I was a computer jockey, show up at eight, leave at five, like clockwork it was very... Stable work environment. I I didn't have to travel or do anything. It was a very, um, it was a very easy money type lifestyle. I didn't have any complaints there, but it was also a pretty successful company that had grown substantially uh, in in the past uh, years prior to me uh, getting there. And so there's there was just this mentality, especially from. From leadership that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? If, why do you want to come in here and start looking at our asphalt plants? You know, why do you want to come in here and start painting yellow lines on our mechanic floor, shop floor, when we don't really need it, you know? And, and so I think there might have been a, a, a little bit of disconnect between why they said that they didn't want it and what was actually going on in the field, right? I think there were some people that were had learned because of working in that environment to keep their mouth shut, you know? And I'm, I don't know that there necessarily was a, a tremendous amount of respect for people. There certainly was no continuous improvement, which are really the two pillars of lean, right? And so um, I, I think that uh, that is just, that's just where i was with that company i don't know if that's a similar um a similar feeling to to how you felt as well they also uh, gave me the the typical answer back oh we tried that a few years ago and it didn't work oh, and yeah. when i tried to ask them hey what would you try yeah they don't know but if you don't know then then how, like did you really try you know so to me um you've got to be willing at a certain point to be vulnerable and to take a little bit of risk, because believe it or not, there it is to someone who is in a situation where they have the, the perception that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We are successful. You are putting what they view as a functioning system at risk by experimenting to try to make it better. And I think that's part of, you know, where leadership is like, what do I do if I endorse this and then it doesn't work and then it's
1: on me
2: yeah, the, yeah. The, the the opposite is directly chasing winners out of your operation if i'm not allowed to experiment and try what gets better then Then we never get better, and I like the way john put it together, because I am like intrinsically married to continuous improvement. I don't care if you change the system if it's lean if it's theory of constraints if it's some new thing i'm not even privy to yet ag- agilist approach scrum master but. I am like married to the continuous improvement mindset.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I get that a hundred percent. And I think, you know, if we're looking at, at the reality of continuous improvement, if you just want to talk about the competitive market that you're in, okay? If you are one of two producers of XYZ in your market and you're one competitor, embraces continuous improvement and lean before you, you just got left behind, buddy. And to me, I think that risk is almost greater than the risk that you run with a small scale experiment to see if painting lines on the floor is gonna do better for you or not.
1: I like the objections that you share because I think they are they sort of encapsulate most of the objections that I've heard uh, towards companies embracing continuous improvement whether it's lean or lean light or any business operating system i think the big one that you touched on is the if it's not broke don't fix it i hear that quite a bit and there's a few problems with this right one is it is broke right you you don't know that it's broke it's sort of like if you have a ferrari and it's broken, but it's still faster than a Camry, well, of course it is, right? It's in limp home mode and it's still faster than a Camry because it's a Ferrari, but you're not realizing what it could be, right? Uh, in the same way, there's companies that are making it just because the environment that they're in isn't that competitive. And I think you're exactly right, particularly in markets where there aren't many competitors. When your competitor embraces continuous improvement and a lean business operating system, they are going to leave you in the dust so fast it's very difficult to play catch up. And that's a real and much steeper risk than the PDCA cycle, for example. And that highlights another issue that you touched on, which is most of the time these objections are coming from people that don't understand lean or how to do it or the PDSA cycle and the fact that it's actually very low risk. Um, You're starting from a philosophy of creativity before capital and you're setting up experiments to see if you can make things better worst case scenario you get to the check or the study part and you say you know what i didn't get anything out of it and you don't even have to change it back because you didn't invest anything maybe a can of spray paint right um so it's it's actually very low risk so when i hear that objection that tells me that the person giving the objection doesn't actually know what they're objecting to, and it becomes an education opportunity.
0: And that's a great point, John. You know, I think that if a company is looking to roll out lean, right, if you're going to, to consider changing the, the company culture, you know, start with what is lean for your company, you know, because it's different from, from industry to industry. And even within the construction industry, general contractors approach it differently. Um, you, trades approach it differently? There are certain tools that benefit more with certain trades than others, depending on their scope of work. And so understanding for us internally as an organization, if they're open to having that discussion, right? If you can get there, like if, if they're able to acknowledge that they really don't know what lean is, all right, then the next step is defining, well, what is it for us? We know what it is for Toyota. They've written many books on it, but what is it for us, you know? And then from there, translating that into the, the experiments that are appropriate and the tools and, the, and the, uh, the calculated risks that we're willing to take in order to, to make that happen, right?
1: Yeah, good points. Um, so you, you went through a stint where they weren't interested and obviously you weren't interested, so you moved on and now you're in a role at a general contractor as a lead manager. So many of our audience probably is not familiar with the construction industry. I know we've already mentioned, you know, some, some terms and jargon that, uh, I happen to be familiar with, um, but I know a lot of people won't. So. Maybe start with a broad picture of what it means to be a GC, and then your role in the company as a lean manager. Yeah, so that's a it's a very uh,
0: very broad uh, question or or statement to expound upon.
2: Let me let me preface a little further. The scope of my engineering or construction expertise is the toys I played with as a child. So uh, how about we start with, what, what is a GC? What, what is that title, just <laughs> what does it mean, what do you do?
0: Sure, so a GC, we're just throwing around initials here, but that's a, a general contractor. So typically if John wants to go build a Hardee's, all right, he's the client, he's the person who's seeking the funding, All right. And he's going to look for a general contractor who is basically going to run that construction project for him, try to keep it on budget, try to keep it on the schedule that that John's looking to work towards for his opening day. Right. And then the general contractor is going to go to subcontractors or trade partners who do very specific work, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, tile guys ceiling guys, painters, and get those scopes of work covered in individual contracts that will be all under the general contractor's contract with the client. And so that's where I am. I'm in the the GC, the general contractor level. And so uh, as a lean manager, going to to John's uh, statement earlier, it is a difficult role from the standpoint that we are going through a transformation in the construction industry on the general contractor level uh, with all of the uh, the loom um, implications to company culture, but we're also bringing along the trade partners, the, the subcontractors and educating them and helping them. Similarly to what you saw in the manufacturing world, right, where Toyota says, okay, we're gonna work on us first, And then we're also going to work with our suppliers and our our second and third tier uh, people that we're working with outside of our organization. The the issue with construction that makes it a little bit different from manufacturing is that manufacturers, for the most part, if they want to, they can eat up services and products upstream and downstream from their house and then improve them internally, right? as a general contractor we don't typically go and just buy out the plumber because we're tired of dealing with them, right or because we want to teach them about continuous improvement and try to save twenty dollars on the next plumbing contract that we have it is it, it is necessary for us to work with people outside of our organization on a daily basis and so not only are we combating you know the resistance to change internally in our own organization but we're also combating that with respect to other companies and so now instead of you dealing with one leader internally who's telling you i don't know what lean is i don't really see the value i don't think we should do this now you've got a leader for every individual company that has a subcontract with you on a job and you're trying to convince them of the value and, and that's
1: part of what I do, that's, that's, that's where I fit in. So vertical integration through uh, BizDev or m and is off the table for a GC. So the relevant skills um, are shifted once that option's off the table, you have to gain cooperation from your trade partners uh, to behave in ways that are aligned with your own lean philosophy and ways of doing things. I've worked with some suppliers in similar situations, and one of the challenges was getting them to agree to use tools that we needed to run our business. For example, when I was in Tier 1 Automotive, we had a supplier uh, root cause assessment form, and our AQUIS certification, which was necessary in order to uh, even do business in the space, uh, rested on having that form and using it whenever uh, non-compliance was detected. You know, very important if you have an automotive recall or anything like that, you know, you have to have these paper trails um, and we had a couple of arm wrestling matches where we told suppliers, like, you don't understand, you can't do business with us if you don't fill out this paper. And then we have to review it and we have to take minutes of the meeting, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So do you have any interesting stories about getting your trade partners to sort of cooperate?
0: We have plenty, <laughs> we have, but it's, uh, again, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, uh, John, is the, the problems in construction are so basic to the point that if I want to talk about getting uh, the trade to fill out an Excel file in the field, I first have to call their office and remind them that he's supposed to have an iPad. It's, it's not, you know, we're not talking about like people objecting in a forthcoming manner to filling out cells in an Excel file. We're talking about having the capability of doing so just out the door. All right. So you got to have a device. The device has to have access to all the necessary uh, technology stuff, right? You got to have Wi-Fi or data. You got to have the ability to modify an Excel file. Then, in some cases, I had that take two months mm-hmm. with with a with a single trade on a single project. All right, mind you, this is a trade that we worked with on multiple projects before, so it's not even the fact that you accomplish it with one project with that specific trade does not carry over. You you may have a new foreman. Uh, on the next project who's completely unaware of the requirements for working on a project with us as far as lean goes. All right. So the, the Excel file is a part of our last planner system, which is a, a huge topic um, right now for lean in construction. It is, a, it is a value delivery system for uh, projects to, you know, to build the project on time. But in a collaborative manner, right, so in the days of the general contractor's superintendent sitting in his office trailer and staring at his schedule and say, keeping it to himself and going out there and telling the electrician, hey, you're behind. And, and screaming at him, you know, is, hey, you guys come in, we're going to sit down and look at this schedule together and we're going to figure out how in the heck are we going to get there together and sequence the work appropriately so that we're not on top of each other, so that we're doing it safely. We're doing it on time with appropriate quality, right? And so this, uh, to be able to get a weekly work plan, which is the Excel file that I was referencing earlier, it's a, it's a big to do in some cases. And you're, you're doing like a, it's not a continuous improvement that's linear, right? Because because every project is a slightly different. The group of trade partners that you're working with is slightly different. The GC team, so the engineer, uh, for the general contractor, the superintendent, the project manager, they shuffle. Okay. And so you get a, an unevenness, all right. If we're if we're we want to use lean terms, all right. So What you end up with is the next project, we get two or three trades that have done projects with us in the past and are aware of weekly work plans. All right, You get another handful that you're gonna have to fight for two months to get them an iPad. And then on the general contractor side, you've got an engineer who knows what last planner system is, project manager who doesn't, and a a fresh college graduate who hasn't heard of any of it at all. And so, bringing everybody up to a, a level um, where you can implement Last Planner to the, to the degree that it really needs to be to generate value can be a lot of discussions about what is lean, a lot of training, a lot of you know, basic explanations about 5S, sort, straighten, shine, standardize, sustain, right? All these, um, all these basic principles. And uh, it's really difficult to press that down to the operational level of a general contractor and to ask a superintendent or a project manager to take these things on because people have limited bandwidth, right? And also uh, it, uh, sometimes it, it takes a, uh, someone who has a deeper knowledge of the information to be able to explain it well to somebody.
1: Right, so it sounds like a lot of education, collaboration. Um, Actually, that sounds kind of cool. But now I have a thought about industry, which is my time in heavy equipment manufacturing, for example. There's not a lot of newcomers that happen very often. I think the last one I can recall would be Komatsu, and that's been decades. Um, The existing businesses are so efficient. That breaking in, you know, as a new competitor takes, like an Elon Musk or something. Um, do you sort of predict the future of the GC in uh, construction is going to sort of uh, solidify into a few major players without a lot of room to break in, barriers to entry?
0: So I think if I'm understanding correctly, you're referring to
1: consolidation within the uh, the, the business sector, right? Yeah, as GCs increasingly embrace the principles of lean, right, the ability of an up and comer to sort of break into that uh, is going to be much more challenging, right? Because yeah, already so be improving. I do have uh, uh,
0: some experiences that I could tell you about there, where uh, a trade partner is working on a project where. Uh, we are doing a very good job of implementing a lot of uh, lean principles. We're keeping the site neat and clean so that when they send their stuff out on carts, they're actually able to use the carts and the casters don't get blocked by all kinds of trash on the floor. Uh, We are uh, organized in our delivery systems. We are running last planner. So we're staying on schedule, which helps people see the value of all these meetings and paperwork that are associated with that, all right? And then they go to another job site with another general contractor. And then they'll come back and they'll be like, man, I never wanna work on a job site with them ever again. And it's funny, they don't say, well, the superintendent over there was an a-hole or the project manager out there was an a-hole or um, it's, they cite the lean stuff. They say that job is a wreck. We can't get in and out. Access with a delivery truck is terrible. We can, We don't know what the schedule is. We go in there and we spend three hours doing a pull plan and it never gets taken off the wall and put into the computer. We, we're flying blind here you know? And so to me, that goes to your point, all right? It's it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier in a market where you only have a couple competitors. In construction, we have many competitors, but yes, to answer your question directly, I do see the future as if you're not doing this stuff, people are not going to want to sign up for your projects, number one. And number two, you're going to get smoked by your competitors. It, it's just it, the... It, but it's a gradual process, okay? We we talk about lean being applied to the construction industry for approximately the last 15 years. Like that's what uh, the Lean Construction in- Institute is saying right now. Is that you know we're in the 15 to 20 year range where people have actually uh, started to undertake this. So if you look at manufacturing, anyone who's been doing lean and manufacturing they're going to tell you number one that they're still learning right they're still continuously improving but they're going to tell you number two they're they're still on that journey they're it, they started 50 60 70 years ago but they're not working towards being done in 100 years it, it's you have it's one of those things like i try to explain to people what i do and i tell them it's a rabbit hole it it is a genuine as soon as you jump in head first you have all these opportunities right And you want to spread yourself so thin across all these different things that could improve in in these opportunities that you see. And you talk about going a a mile wide, an inch deep, right? Or an inch wide and a mile deep with something. I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how does the company understand lean? Some some companies are going to say, we've got to do 5S. If we don't do 5S, we're going to get left behind. And so they do an inch wide, a mile deep with 5S. And other companies say, we want to do it all. And so you're doing, uh, you're trying to do a bunch of stuff all at the same time, maybe to varying degrees of perfection, but it's just such a broad area, right? And trying to, um, trying to press that down to the people that are boost on the ground doing the, the standard daily activities. At, at least with a, a a novice knowledge base of of lean and how to apply it in our industry is very difficult by yourself
1: that sounds quite challenging i uh had a question about visual management so i think visual management as a theory is one of the most misunderstood lean tools particularly you know for people that aren't super experienced okay. right so Ideal visual management would never have a board at all. You don't need it, right? Ideally, you can look at the process being performed and know exactly what your status is. And so the existence of visibility walls or whatever you you call your charts and graphs, that only exists because there's stuff you can't see, right? Um, And in fact, 5S is a visual workspace management tool, not a cleanliness tool, right? Um, So speaking of visual management, one thing with construction is there's some visual management built in. I mean, you can clearly tell if the studs are up or not, right? Um, What type of visual management tools do you use in lean construction and how does the team use them and kind of react? Again, that's a super broad topic as well.
0: But um, I like where your mind is there was saying that if it's, if it's a visual process, you don't need a diagram on the wall or a narrative on the wall or bar charts and graphs. You know, if you put 10 boxes there in front of the person on the assembly line in the morning and say, that's what we got to do today. And at the end of the day, there's one box still there. We know we didn't hit our goal and you don't need any fancy computer systems or anything to measure that. Um, In some cases, we can get to that level with simple processes in construction. The issue is um, a lot of them aren't simple. A lot of times, like I said before, we're dealing with multiple trades in in a single work area trying to accomplish a goal of getting that work area built out. And it's not simply drywall and metal studs, and it's not simply overhead rough in electrical or plumbing or any of that. It's all encompassing, right? And so we do. We do a lot of visual management for uh, for tracking our, our schedule. And um, the schedule that we try to visualize is usually a Gantt chart. So that shows us how our activities are, are lining up and overlapping. And we phase that work so, so that we can push towards one piece flow, which is a, a huge pipe dream of mine for construction in the future. Super difficult goal to achieve, right? When you're when you're talking about measuring, but um, that might be a whole nother topic in and of itself. Uh, the, the long and the short of it is that the phasing of the work is something that we visualize, all right? So let's say that we've got a single floor in an existing building that we're renovating. We can divide that into work areas, A, B, C, and D, and do a parade of trades where the metal stud guy starts out in Area B. Area A moves to area B, then to area C, and then to area D, and we can visualize that. So when the, when the electrical foreman, the new electrical foreman gets out there in the field, uh, he or she should be able to go right up there to the board, take a look at what we've marked up on drawings or what our phasing is, take a look at our weekly work plan, get a feel for what the other trades are doing, get a feel for what his specific company has planned for the day of same thing goes for the general contractor superintendent I've seen it before where we, we do a good job visualizing last planner out on a project um, in the schedule and the sequence of work and a general contractor superintendent can be swapped out and essentially in a day or two be pretty well abreast of what's going on out there um, now I would say, visual management from the standpoint, if there were no boards, John, that is, uh, that is definitely next level. And I think that's where we need to get to so that if you swap out an electrical, um, let's say journeyman or laborer, then he or she can come in and figure out on that project, how is this installation working? Oh, here's my material. Here's my lay down here's the current work area, this is where area A is, this is my lift, that's not their lift, this is my lift, this is what the expectation is for me to get installed today and they can jump on the lift and go without their foreman being there, you know? And so I don't think on most construction projects we um, have visual management going to that degree, unless it is a very simple uh, construction process, say, Uh, tilt wall construction or um, block cinder block wall construction, um, metal building uh, construction, right? Those, Those things are essentially shells with not a lot of mechanical electrical plumbing things inside of them. And so the sequence of work is not muddied up too much. And you can tell if they're supposed to get from this column line to that column line with the cinder block today, You can tell at the end of the day if you're there or not pretty easily.
1: I love that you brought that up because one of my selling points for lean, it is not just about efficiency. It's not just about reducing waste or employee engagement. It is also a key tool for robustness, which is to say, if a key player goes down, you can still run the play. Um, So I appreciate you. Uh, bringing that up and reminding us, you know, visual management and other lean tools, and especially documented processes, allow us to substitute key players more easily, you know, with a a little less risk to the business, right?
0: Yes. And let me say this about visual management too, something that I've learned, because initially, when you, when you first start teaching people about what it is, and how to do it, there's a, there's sometimes a mentality that okay well what's required for us to to do visual management out here what are the things that we need to print out and put on the wall right or what signs do we need to get made and and honestly and truthfully if that list is long and if a lot of those things that you're printing out and and hanging on the wall don't make a hill of beans to the trades and the gc doesn't care about them either there's no value there so three months later when you go out there that stuff's going to be out of date. The data in there is not going to be relevant to what's currently going on in the field. So for me, visual management is all about value. If I think that the the center block guy out there on my job is the one driving the schedule, he is the critical path. Yes. I'm going to try to visualize the heck out of that so that the other trades know where he's at. And also so that I know from my own benefit. Right. And, and if, the client cares about knowing what work in place is for their project and they visit my job regularly, I might consider putting that on the wall. If my client cares a lot about um, when bathtubs are going to be set on their project, then I might make that a milestone in my schedule, even though that's an atypical thing to track, right? And so it's it's all about value. What is critical on this project? What is important to my team that, that we achieve? What is important to the trades on the job that they achieve, what helps them understand what's going on the best. And we're going to try to keep up with that and keep that to date.
1: Yeah, I love that, you know, the idea of creating value. And also, you know, you have to meet people where they're at. Uh, I've seen some lean implementation approaches and everybody learns. I'm not uh, throwing anybody under the bus or judging anybody, but, you know, they typically tend to be um, just graduated from college with an engineering degree. And, you know, they throw this uh, here's the program, come sit in a conference room for two hours while I click through endless slides. And here's, you know, 17 charts and, and all of this. And the people doing the work are like, you know, I came up to the conference room because it's air conditioned and there is free soda. Um, but I'm not doing this. So, you yeah. um, know. So, you know, like you have to meet people where they're at and that's where the 1% better comes in. Um, Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's a really great point. And also, too, you know, earlier we talked about leadership categorically saying I'm not into this lean stuff for whatever reason, whether it's ignorance or something else, but. There are also parts and pieces, right, where uh, maybe a team, maybe we're not talking about the highest of the high as far as leadership levels go, but maybe a team says, hey, that visual management crap, that's BS. We're, we're not doing that stuff out here. We don't care how much you coaches are telling us about it. Right. And so you get there are different levels of resistance. Right. But the, it it comes from that approach that I was saying earlier, you know, it's an inch wide, mile deep, because if you get if you're working on a specific item with a with a leader, an individual leader or a team, and you're trying to get to that depth and at at the one inch depth, you're already getting resistance. That's going to be tough work right? And if you have that occurring with multiple things that you're trying to achieve in your, in your quest to change your company's culture, that can be a lot of work too. So just because the, the highest of the high say, yes, I'm all in, I want to do the lean stuff. It doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight because that has immediate effects on the people that are out, uh, doing the work. And then also too, um, they're not, they may not, Uh, fully embrace everything that's it they might say they like the continuous improvement part but they think the respect for people part is a bunch of hokum you know we're not going to run around singing kumbaya out on our job sites right we're not doing the stretch and flex crap we think that's baloney all right and then so then all right know the current condition right i know your background in six sigma you cannot continuously improve if you do not know what your current condition is so be transparent with leadership and say, "Okay, well, we've got the continuous improvement mindset down. but disrespect for people stuff, man. We are efficient, all right. So how do we, so we, now we know where we're at? Now, how do we get there? Right? But then that's when the experimenting comes in. That's when the changes occur. Right? I yeah.
2: do like the the conversation around visual management because any sufficiently robust visual process. <laughs> empowers people like almost by default and i'll give you a good example of uh, i say this about landscaping a lot if you go out and look at the current state of your backyard you immediately know what is and is not done if you needed to pick up a weed whacker and finish you know precisely what is not done Um, i I liken that to barbers as well if you look at john's head that barber is not done with whatever he started there (laughs) it's not it is not completed and a sufficiently robust process brings everybody into that same no i think a big struggle is uh, when you're talking about buy-in especially the higher levels you go is they literally can't visually see what it is you're talking about the the argument in you know if you're telling them lean's going to do x for me they literally have no barometer for physically seeing what you were talking about. And the introduction of sufficiently visual and robust processes is like the number one way I've found to
1: jump in. For down. the record, uh, my hair was cut by a licensed beautician, which is uh, me, formerly licensed, uh, because when I was in college, you weren't allowed to charge money. For haircuts, unless you got licensed, and that's how I uh, made money in college. So I got the license. So I don't want to hear your shit, Jake. Uh,
2: I always lean at this angle because John took my other ear off. So if I'm turning this way, nobody can tell.
1: No, but I like uh, I like what you brought up, Andrew, about um, talking to your audience and what they'll accept and won't. You know, I've been coaching leadership for a while now. Um, on the importance of the soft skills in implementing what what are essentially engineering outcomes. So when you study the theories of lean, when you study the theories of Six Sigma, theory of constraints, I mean, that is literally physics. um, Those are engineering ideas. The problem is that that's all they are, is a theory. They have to be applied. And so skills like salesmanship, and being able to talk to people you know, comfortably at their level without being a jerk or being perceived as one, um, those are much more valuable skills for a leader because I can outsource the technical knowledge. And really, I have all of that in my pocket now with my phone. right? So the, the skill set that is rapidly becoming most important the higher you go in an org is the ability to deal with people and persuade them. The old days of do it because I said so and I'm the boss, you know, or you get a write up. Those days are done. Um, so, an example with the trades, you know, I'm running a factory right now, and we are all a bunch of tough guys, mostly in our 20s, um, <clears throat> company excluded. Uh, <laughs> you know, mostly I said mostly, and uh, you know their balls are bigger than coconuts, and they hope everybody knows it, right? So. If we're talking about respect for people or whatever, I know the theory, but I won't use lean terms, and I intentionally avoid lean terms in many contexts. You know, many people have a bad taste in their mouth, or they think you know that's some kind of nerdy bullshit, and give me my hammer, right? So instead, I talk about respect, and I just leave it there, you know. And sometimes I'll use like my Tony Soprano voice. You know and the guys yeah. oh yeah 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 we're all about respect man yeah woo, woo. yeah um so the, you know there's a little bit of salesmanship that goes into it and really that's me communicating the actual idea in language that they understand right because they're actually right like their bro masculinity uh, idea of respect is actually what we're talking about but if you use terms like safe space respect for people, tolerance, inclusion, belonging, you know, they're liable to give you the bird as they slap their Make America Great Again hat on and stomp out of of the meeting, right? So knowing your audience, being able to sell, really critical skills for lean leaders,
2: I think. John, I was in a conversation with a previous coworker of mine, a company who shall not be named, but alas, it's a great company, and as i'm discussing he came up with a single greatest way to refer to that this is somebody without a robust lean background without like tools and tactics in their belt and he walked up in the middle of this problem and he said how do i make this less shitty right now I thought <laughs> you encapsulated that very well what like you did you got the entire idea down to that sentence and i'm kind of grateful No, that's great.
0: That's like, uh, you know, what bugs you? And I think that's a good selling point uh, for for lean. If you're trying to get on someone's level is just talk with them about what bugs them. You know, these, these are the opportunities that sometimes leaders don't see, you know, and that's one advantage that I have to being in my specific role is that I'm, as far as the org chart goes, I'm kind of in the middle. So I can, I can have conversations with people in the field that are actually doing the work, but I can also have conversations with management to try to bring about change, right? And so going to your respect for people topic, John, it, you're right. That that is a skill set that uh, if you're not familiar with the construction industry, is a challenge historically. You're dealing with again, like you said, the, the egos and the the people who it's my way or the highway, right? And I think that, you know, organizational change is a finicky thing. At some point in time, you're going to adopt the, this, this lean culture to the degree that those who are not into it, that aren't at a certain leadership level, they're going to have to make difficult decisions about their career path and decide, okay, is this something that yes, I've been resisting, I'm going to be a late adopter, or do I want out? And so, you know, I, yes, I do feel like as a coach, I owe that to everyone to make an effort to get on their level and to uh, use my salesman's hat and and to explain things and to a degree that everyone understands. I'm a big proponent though of not selling people short, whether it be trades or internal to the organization uh, on the general contractor side. Just because they wear a hard hat doesn't mean they can't learn the word Gimba, all right? But at the same time, if I'm sitting in a room with people and I say Gimba 29 times and on the 30th time, they still don't have it, I'm going to start using the word field, you know, and I'm and I'm going to adapt my message to get to the people that I need to get to for that next level change, right? So yes, the the respect for people portion is, that, you know, you've you've seen it in manufacturing when you ignore the respect for people part and focus on the improvement part, people get treated like robots, may as well be a machine at that point, all right? As the uh, as the industrial engineer increases the the base rate for that particular task that person becomes less and less of a person all right and so i experienced that firsthand i got the un <laughs> the unpleasant task of having to put people on disciplinary action because as a robot they were not performing well all right and so i i frown upon that in the construction industry i know that you know these people have have kids that they're trying to support at home And I'll share a a quick story um, that taught me respect for people early in my career. I was about 29 years old and I had someone who had a non-production job in the manufacturing world um, that reported directly to me. I was a supervisor for a a specific department. And because she was non-production, it was very difficult for me to... Uh, cite any kind of data to say you're a low performer. But there were uh, complaints from crew leaders. There were, the, the manager tasked me with delivering this news to um, this person. And um, she got very upset. She said she wasn't going to sign the reprimand, um, you know, thought it was all subjective. And after I had the meeting with her and I went back to debrief with my manager, I said, look, she did, she didn't sign it, this and that. And the manager said, are you aware that she lives in a one room apartment with a one year old baby? And, and, you know, she's trying to just make ends meet. They've been working six to four, 10 hour shifts for months on end in our department. And I just I don't know, I, I, I guess at that time in my life and in my career development, you, you can catch yourself assuming that everybody else is pretty much in as stable of an environment outside of work as you are, right? And that everybody is kind of dealing with the same turmoil or, as you are at work, but you don't really think about the, the human side, the, the part outside of work, you know, and that greatly affected me. And so now I have to constantly catch myself thinking about that electrician right there is doing work with a mask on that I can't even do without a mask on. And I'm asking them to put a face shield on and latex gloves and weather gloves because we're in a pandemic, you know? And so being empathetic or in some cases sympathetic, if I'm dealing with a trade that I've, I've lived and worked in before, I think that's a huge part of, of selling right you have to understand where that person is in their mind with their with their work and recognize them as a human being and then then what bugs you conversation all of a sudden has more weight and more value you're able to listen and you're able to truly help that person and i think that's a huge benefit of of lean is making life easier for people
2: yeah I, i often refer back to that meet people where they're at and i think people t- tend to look over the the primary qualifier there is you have to know where your people are at right <laughs> like yeah. if i'm going to meet you exactly where you stand in this world i have to know where you are in this world and that's a different level for everybody and uh, I, I like that that story there so thank you very much for sharing yes,
1: well Andrew. And that's, that's, a, well, Andrew that's a very powerful story thank you for sharing and that is a great place to wrap up the show hard to believe we've been having fun for an hour already. Do you have any final words of wisdom or thoughts for our audience?
0: I just, uh, would like to say that, um, lean in construction is still a new thing, even though it has been 15 or 20 years since it really began and, uh, don't get discouraged. It's a, it's a brave new world out there. It's a huge opportunity for the industry. It's exciting. It's rewarding work, but sometimes it is difficult work because of the people's inherent resistance to change, but it's going to bring great things to construction. And I think construction is one of those industries that we're gonna to have to keep on our radar in the in the near future as it evolves. It's, a, it's an exciting time, it really is.
1: Hashtag career opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew McLaughlin, Lean in Construction. For everybody out there in YouTube land, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.